Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Family needs grace. That is a fact. If we're going to have healthy family units, each individual will need to both receive and give abundant grace. On this episode of audio from Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Pastor Al Pittman continues our family series by leading us through Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The title of this talk is called Grace in Plain Sight. Let's get started with Pastor Al. Galatians chapter 3, amen. Uh, we're so blessed to hear the great reports we've been hearing coming from the women's uh, retreat uh, up in Denver and um, you know 100, about 150 women are up there from our fellowship and so we thank God for the good reports there's been reports of salvation and uh, lo- the women are blessed amen praise the Lord thank God for that just wanted to mention that but here we are in Galatians chapter 3 and of course we might get done a little early today so you guys can get home and get the house cleaned up who have wives up there amen like myself all right We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9. I've entitled this message, Grace in Plain Sight. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word today because we know that your word has a promise that it will go forth and accomplish that which you send it to do and not return to you void. We pray that you would grant us, Lord, here on the west side, those online, those over at Creekside, grant us ears to hear. What the Spirit of God is saying to the church and hearts to receive your word, that we might bear fruit to your glory. Be glorified, we pray, and we ask this all in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Grace in plain sight. You may have heard the phrase, blind faith, and sometimes people relate to, uh, refer to Christianity as being blind faith. Well, the reality is that blind faith is not Christian faith. In fact, Blind faith, when you think about it, is really faith without vision. And what Paul talks about here is a clear vision of God's grace. True faith in Christ is based upon the light of God's word and the living example of his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is belief rather than blindness. Consider a couple of scriptures. Number one being Psalm 119, 105. You know it well. For your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And then, of course, in relationship to Jesus being our living example, an example for us, Jesus said himself in John chapter 13, on the night he was betrayed and he washed the disciples' feet. Many of you know the story. And he said, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Not just an example that night, but an example through his life. I believe this message is very important because it reminds us that as believers, our hearts should be established in grace. It reminds us that that God has given us a clear example of his grace, a clear manifestation, if you will, of his grace toward us. And yet sometimes as believers, as we walk in our relationship with the Lord, we kind of trade in that relationship of grace for one of legalism, religiosity. But God has given us grace, and Paul mentions that, in a clear manifestation through the cross. He's given us that faith, a clear revelation of God's grace through Jesus Christ rather than the works of the law. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that your heart be established where? By grace. Just one person said it. Your heart be established, come on, Creekside, by grace. Amen. Out of Creekside, they got it. They got it here as well. But your heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. What is Paul? I mean, the, I believe Paul wrote the book of Galatians, but I mean, Hebrews, uh, but people want to debate that. But you know, we can, that's another topic. Amen. But what he's writing about, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, the Jews, the book of Hebrews, of course, writing to Hebrews who are Jews, he's writing to them saying, look, you're obsessed with the law concerning what foods you should eat and all this kind of stuff, but your heart should not be established by foods, it should be established by grace, amen. And some of us, maybe our our diets, we feel like uh, we're more precious to God and God's favors upon us because we've been dieting really well and we didn't eat that Snickers bar yesterday. 
But the reality is that your favor with God is not based upon what you eat or don't eat. It's based upon God's grace. And so in Paul's day, people were obsessed with that. And even some today with you got to eat the right foods and all of this in order to be righteous. But the reality is that our hearts in Jesus Christ should be established by grace, not by foods or rules and the regulations of men. In fact, grace is our permanent address. Where do you live in Christ? In grace. Grace is our permanent address. And that address, my friend, never changes. It never changes. The Apostle Paul, in our text, therefore, he rebukes the church at Galatia for moving away, moving from the address of God's grace, from the truth of God's grace, to a works-oriented, legalistic form of religion. You know, legalism has a strange attraction. It's a strange attraction we have to legalism in our flesh. We like legalism. We like a system, a form where we can, we can kind of measure ourselves, our relationship with God. And so we base our relationship with God based on our works, how we perform, rather than the promises of God. And this is what Paul is addressing here uh, within our text. We love legalism. We love to come into church and people tell you, you know, to stand and sit and do this and do that. And you do it. And we, you know, this kind of a thing, our spiritual calisthenics. And then we check the box and we feel good about ourselves and we go home. That's not a relationship with God. That's legalism. That's works. Legalism has a way of providing for us and producing within us a false sense of godliness and self-exaltation above others. We always like to have one up on somebody else. Oh, you run into that person who forgot to do the devotion, hadn't done the devotions for a couple of days, and you've been pretty consistent the last two days with your devotions, and you're like, oh, you haven't done your devotions. I understand. I used to be like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing your devotions, and we should do our devotion, but now we've, uh, we're kind of looking at our devotions as, as, a, as a, a, a standard of righteousness, and somehow God favors me more because I did my devotions and you did not. It's legalism. A relationship based upon the law and what we can do rather than what God has done for us. An example of that, again, can be found in Colossians. Paul writing to the church in Colossians, and, and uh, he says here in Colossians chapter 2, Verses 20 to 25, if you can turn there quick, a few pages over from the book of Galatians. In Colossians chapter 2, he addresses this issue of the law versus grace, where he says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves, your, yourselves to regulations? In other words, he's saying, you know what? You've died in Christ. You're a new creation in Christ. You're now in the kingdom of God. Why are you taking rules and regulations that are in the world and applying them to the kingdom of God. Relationships not based on rules and regulations is the point that he's making, all right? And he says in verse 21, do not touch, things like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, all these restrictions, you know, don't, you know, drink, smoke or chew or go at girls who do and all these things, stipulations, amen, I'm just saying. It's an old phrase, anyway. Uh, (laughs) But all these rules and regulations, what's governing your life rather than the grace of God, okay? Not that we shouldn't have disciplines in our lives and that type of thing, but your life, your relationship is based upon grace and not rules and regulations. And he says, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines, here it is, of men. Living according to the doctrines and expectations of men rather than by grace and by the word of God. Okay? We'll get further into that in just a moment here. These things indeed, he says in verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. Look at all the things I don't do, so therefore God must truly love me. But are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Why? Because you cannot through your flesh, transform your life. It's only by the Spirit of God. 
as Paul will get into more in just a moment here. And so, you know, all these things, they look really holy. They look really spiritual, you know. And some of us have come out of churches where you had, you had to look spiritual. Amen. It wasn't enough to be spiritual. You had to look spiritual. You couldn't wear makeup for some of you ladies. You had to have your hair pulled back in a bun or whatever for some of you ladies. You know, your dress had to be a certain length. Amen. If you were really holy. Amen. It was above your knee. Oh, you'd backslidden. Amen. And, and, and all this kind of stuff. And the men had to wear a certain suit. You had to look a certain way. You had to dress a certain way. I mean, sometimes people get upset with me because I don't wear a tie or whatever. You know, he don't wear a tie. I had one pastor tell me, he said, you're too casual. I said, well, that's all right because that's who I am. You be who you be. Amen. And so it's like, you know what? But the reality is that we judge each other by the outward things. But the Bible says man judges by the outward. God judges the heart. And we judge each other and say, oh, God loves me. And God, God, I have a relationship with God because you know what? I don't do all these things or I do do all these things. That's legalism. Paul says back here in Galatians chapter three, he says, you know what? In verse one, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He says, you're not even living according to the truth if your relationship with God is one of religious legalism. And he says, in fact, you're bewitched. He says before, he said, listen, you've been bewitched. You're getting away from the truth. Why? Because Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. I came preaching among you the crucifixion of Christ. That is by God's grace that we're saved. Amen. And he was clearly, that's why I, the title of this message, Grace in, in Plain Sight. The cross is forever before us is to demonstrate to us that Christ was crucified, clearly crucified, that we may know that we have a relationship with God by grace and no longer by legalistic law. That word bewitched in the Greek is baskino. Baskino, and it means to charm, to bring evil on by feigned praise. See, our flesh, we, we, we love to be charmed, don't we? You know, oh, man, you look good today. Oh, stop it. We, we love to be charmed, amen. We love to be charmed. We love flattery, man. Oh, flattery can almost get you anywhere, as the saying goes. And there's nothing wrong. Listen, there's nothing wrong in paying someone a compliment. I love it when people come up and say, that, that message really blessed me or whatever, or, or saying, hey, I appreciate your ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to express even more so appreciation for one another. Amen. And pay others compliments. You know, we love it when someone says, you know, you've been on a diet and they notice it. You lost a few pounds. <laughs> yes, I have. You know. <laughs> I mean, we love that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not my point. My point is this, is that when praise becomes the motivation and focus of our lives, then what we can do is we, so many times we're making ourselves, what we have done, I should say, is we make ourselves vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. Why do I say that? Because we have allowed works, what we have done rather than what Christ has done, rather than grace, to become the source of our confidence and the problem with that is now we rise and we fall. Our confidence rises and falls. Our joy rises and falls based on the opinions of others or the unrealistic expectations that we've placed on ourselves. We're trying to live up to a, a standard God never wanted us to. I'm going to get up every morning at five o'clock. I'm going to spend two hours with God. You do that for three days. The, th the fourth day, uh, th third day, you know, you sleep in. You, you, the alarm doesn't go off. When the alarm goes off, you just get ignored or whatever. And you walk around all that day condemned. That's legalism. God says, I know your frame and I know your game. That you're just dust. It's by his grace that we live. In Christ, not according to rules and regulations by the law. Now, there's nothing wrong in doing devotions, nothing wrong in getting up at five in the morning. But don't let that be the basis of God's favor upon your life. Listen, works are great. God wants us to do great works. Those of us who are, you know, over 60 years old and stuff, and we sometimes have an attitude that, you know what, I'm kind of retired now. Let them young people get in there and serve. No, God's not finished with you yet. Amen. And you can't find, by the way, retirement in the Bible. Amen. Well, I, I, you know, I'm just I'm kicking back. I'm, there's no retirement in Jesus. Amen. He's still working on you. Amen. Praise his holy name. Right, works are great. 
but it should be in response to God's love, not the means by which we earn God's love. I love the story. I want to read to you an illustration of this very fact. Heard a story about a husband and wife who really didn't love each other. The man was very demanding, so much so that he prepared a list of rules and regulations for his wife to follow. He insisted that she read them over every day and obey them to the letter, among other things, his do's and don'ts in his do's and don'ts indicated such details as what time she had to get up in the morning and when his breakfast should be served and how the housework should be done. I did say I I heard a story. (laughs) Of course, has a good ending to this part of the story. Uh, After several years, the husband died. Amen. The story goes on. As time passed, the woman fell in love with another man, one who dearly loved her. Soon they were married. The husband did everything he could to make his new wife happy continually, showering her with uh, tokens of his appreciation. And one day he was he was cleaning the house. I did say this was a story. I'm just reading. Amen. Ain't nothing wrong with that, guys. We can do that, too. He was cleaning the house, and she found, tucked away in a drawer, the list of commands her first husband had drawn up for. And she looked it over and dawned on her that every, that even though, rather, her husband, her present husband uh, hadn't given her any kind of list, she was doing everything her first husband's list required anyway. She realized She was devoted to this man, so devoted to this man that her deepest desire was to please him out of love and not obligation. The Galatians had began to live as if they were gone, had gone back rather to the old husband, the old dead husband. That is the law, some legalistic religious system. And they had forsaken the new husband. That is the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews says, which is a better covenant. That is the covenant of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And thus they were serving the Lord out of obligation rather than out of love. And here's the question we should ask ourselves. Does my relationship with Jesus Christ look more like one out of obligation or one out of love? It's an important question because it's the difference between living a life under condemnation and a life of consolation that is comfort by the Holy Spirit. Many times when we try to live according to the law, there are days that you, you, you don't get things right. And, and a lot of believers walk around feeling condemned all the time when they've forgotten God's clear manifestation of the cross. They've forgotten the grace of God. And this is why Paul is saying this to the church in Galatia. They have forgotten the grace of God, that there is comfort, not condemnation, in the Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ. Where there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul asks a series of questions to show a clear distinction between the law and grace. And the first question he asks here has to deal with the hearing of faith, grace by the hearing of faith, the spirit of God by the hearing of faith. As he says in verse two, this only I want to learn. He said, listen, let me ask you a question here. Those of you who are living by the law, some legalistic religious system rather than the grace of God. I I just want to learn this from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you receive the spirit? You're so good that God just couldn't resist you and you kept the law perfectly and God gave you the spirit. Or was it according to grace? Grace. This is how we receive the the, the spirit of God. We have received the spirit of God because we're born again by the spirit of God. Jesus said, you must be born again. And being born again, God is giving us his spirit. And we receive his spirit. And every believer has the spirit of God living within them. You know, it's not like, well, you know what? Some have falsely taught that, you know, the Holy Spirit, you got to invite the Holy Spirit in. He's already in you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, we'll come in. We'll sup with you. 
Lord, I come in, he'll come in and sup with us. He comes in, it's not just Jesus, and then, you know, well, we didn't give the Father an invitation or the Spirit an invitation. No, it's, it's a package deal, amen? It's a trinity, three in one. So when we receive Christ, we receive the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit living within us. We receive the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives within every believer. And how do we receive the Spirit? Paul makes the point. It's by grace, by the hearing of faith, according to grace. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, talks about the Spirit that lives within us. Paul says, for you did not receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear. Because the law produces fear. Did you know that? Are you living your Christian life in fear? Then maybe you're living by the law. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The spirit of God within you cries out. That desire within you, that, that longing within you when, you, when you're kind of backslidden in your heart and you're wanting that conviction, it's the spirit of the God within you crying, Abba, Father. God is your daddy, amen. You're not out trying to find a new sugar daddy. God is your father. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. The spirit within you that you receive by the hearing of faith. Is crying out, Abba, Father. Why? Because you belong to God. Because you are a child of God and an heir together with Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? Yeah. Fear, and I'm not talking about reverence. I'm talking about fear, paralyzing fear, is often the motivation behind cults and religions within the world. And it just always blows my mind how intelligent people with all kinds of degrees can end up in a cult like Scientology. Oh, don't say that you might offend somebody. I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> Scientology is a cult. Amen. I'm just telling you the way it is. We like to speak the truth here. We speak it in love. Scientology is a cult. And, you know, people are in that. Sometimes they join those things out of fear. And Islam has grown because of fear. You either convert to Islam or we're going to kill you. Well, guess what? Conversion rates 100%. <laughs> That's how it has grown over the centuries. Much of it because of fear. And so intelligent people, but sometimes intelligent people join in cults and things. And, you know, God is coming back in a spaceship and, and all these kind of things. And just weird stuff they're believing. And a lot of those, you wonder how they, how they, can they, they come into existence because, you know, fear, intimidation by others. But in Jesus Christ, the spirit of God that we have received is a spirit, not of fear, but it's a spirit of adoption by which the spirit of God within us cries out, Father. Amen. amen. And the same rights, amen. Give God praise and glory, amen. And the same rights and privileges that Jesus Christ has as the physical, the, the, the only begotten son of God are also given to us. Through faith in Jesus Christ. How does that happen? According to grace. You don't earn that. And we surely don't deserve it. It's by the grace of God. By the spirit. And through the hearing of faith. And Paul makes that point here. How did you re receive the spirit? How are you born again? But by the hearing of faith. You put your faith in what God has said. Here's the second question he brings to bear. It's in verses 3 and 4. It has to do with grace by position. And not perfection. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? <laughs> what are you guys doing? Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to make yourself perfect according to the flesh? Oh, where were you when Jesus found you? Amen. All right. Just think there for a moment. Come back, though. Amen. 
When Jesus found you, I don't know, we were beat up from the feet up. We were in the gutter. God found us. We had nothing to offer him, just our wickedness and all. We came to him by faith. We were born again by the spirit of God, by the spirit of God. Amen. And we started in the spirit. We walked around with joy and peace and we're just thanking God. But now we've been in the church for a few years. I know a couple of verses by heart. You know, I've I've been around church. I've heard hundreds of sermons. And all of a sudden now what God began in the spirit, I'm going to perfect according to my flesh. Paul said, you're a fool (laughs) for thinking that way. Not by might, nor by power, Isaiah says, I mean, uh, Zechariah says, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We can't do it, but God, are you going to now perfect yourself? Oh, Lord, hey, Lord, uh, I've been to Bible college since you came into my life, and I can take it from here. Really? How foolish that is. It's by the Spirit, it's by grace. The ongoing process of sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of the flesh. It's not fleshly perfection that God is looking for. He's looking for those who are yielded to the process of sanctification. This process is in accordance to with our position in the Lord. What do I mean by that? When God deals with us, he deals with us from our, a position of grace. Our posture, our position is always that of grace. He doesn't deal with us as some, in judgment. He deals with us according to grace. The Bible says that he disciplines those that he loves. You know that? God disciplines those that he loves. What does that mean? That means that God will spank your behind. Now, I know today, I get it. You know, the generation, you don't spank your children, pastor. That's barbaric. Well, in my generation, it was common. Amen? <laughs> Everybody spanked you. Mama spanked you. And then daddy spanked you when he got home. If you went to school, you got to spank you by the principal. He make you take the whole note home to get signed by your parents. And then they spank you for getting the note. Amen? <laughs> your neighbors can spank you. Anybody can. You was a free-for-all in my, in my generation. Amen? Uncle slap you upside the head, whatever, you know, took, amen. Paid you a lot more attention back then, I guess. But God will spank us. He will take us to the woodshed because he loves us not to destroy us, but to build us up. And it's for our good. I know parents discipline us for what they thought was good, but the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that God disciplines us according to what he knows is best for you. You see, he disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 2 says something beautiful, verse 11. Through this time of discipline, through the process of sanctification, because none of us have arrived, amen? God is still working on you, no matter how old you are. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says, For both he, that is Jesus, the Holy Spirit within us, who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, being, emphasis on being, that means you have not arrived. And you're still in the process. I know we love to see other people get sanctified, don't we? Lord, get them. Get my wife. Get my husband. Get that pastor. Lord, get it. No, God said, what about you? He's still working on your case. (laughs) Amen? And he's still working on us. Those who are being sanctified are all of one. And I love this. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So while God is working on my case, I'm in a position of grace. And as God is working on me, he's not ashamed of me. See, some people won't touch you when you get dirty. But God will put an arm around you. And he'll love you to wholeness. Amen? Thank God for his grace. This is about grace, my friends. (laughs) Thus it is the Spirit's job to transform us. We do not transform ourselves. And the Spirit's job is basically threefold, and I'm going to give you those three reasons. There's a lot of other theological reasons, what the Spirit of God does, how he works and all that. But here's three basic reasons what the Spirit does in our lives. And Paul says, you know, you're going to perfect yourself in your flesh. Let me tell you, here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit, number one, leads us in all truth. Jesus said, I will send you a comforter, a paraclete, one who comes alongside of you, the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. John 16, 13. 
And the Holy Spirit also sanctifies. We just talked about that in Hebrews 2, 11, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. That means that he sets us apart for what? God's good pleasure and God's good will. He sanctifies us. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit empowers us. Acts 1, 8, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And every one of us, again, as I said in here before, have the Holy Spirit, that you may be witnesses of me in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So why is the Lord giving you the Holy Spirit? That we might glorify the Lord, that we might be witnesses of Jesus Christ. So he's given us his Holy Spirit. So three reasons. He leads us. He sanctifies us. He empowers us. See, our human mind is inadequate to lead you into all truth because you can deceive yourself. Amen. You think you're all that in the bag of chips. I think I'm all that in the bag of chips, but the reality is I can deceive myself. We can, de- we can be self-deceived. Jesus said, do not be deceived. How can we not be deceived? Well, let the Holy Spirit lead you into all truth. You're dating that young man and, or that guy, and you know he comes to church sometimes, and he's mentioned Jesus a couple of times. You, you, you know in your heart he's not really a Christian, but you go to the Lord and say, Lord, should I marry him? And the Lord says, no. But that isn't what you wanted to hear, right? But the Lord will speak the truth to you in love. He'll tell you the truth. Oh, you don't want to hear that. And that's why sometimes we don't ask the Lord. Then, you know, after, after you get married, then it's like, oh, I made a mistake. Well, God was telling you the whole time. Amen. Amen. But now, you, now you're pregnant with the situation. Amen. And you just need to stay in, that, in there and trust God even through that. Amen. I may be talking to somebody. Let me move on. All right. But we can't lead ourselves in all truth because we're prejudiced by the way we think. But the Holy Spirit can. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can't make ourselves holy. Our minds cannot sanctify ourselves. Again, our, our righteousness is but a filthy rag in the sight of God. Only the Holy Spirit can sanctify us and purify us and set us apart for God's perfect will and for his good pleasure. And we surely cannot empower ourselves because the devil's a whole lot wiser and smarter than you. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, oh man, we can resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you, James says. And so he gives us power to overcome the enemy. We can't do this stuff in our mind. We can't lead ourselves in all truth and sanctify ourselves, empower ourselves according to positive thinking. It's only by the Spirit of God. The Spirit's job is to consecrate us. Our job is to simply comply according to grace. Now, you may feel like this, this morning, you know, with this work of the Holy Spirit, just spend a little bit more time on this, but the work of the Holy Spirit, as Paul said, you know, are you going to perfect yourself according to your own flesh? That's foolishness. But it's by the Spirit of God. He said, but my life is a mess. But you know what? It's kind of like the construction project we've got going on next door. We've got the plywood up on the, in the front there and stuff, and we've got all, these, all the renovation stuff going on. And, I mean, the plywood on the, top, on the building now makes it look like a, a crack house over there, but uh, it's, it, <laughs> we do have church in there, amen? And uh, the kids meet in there and that kind of thing, but, uh, but the, the half of the building that the kids aren't in has been torn up and, and uh, you know, they've poured new concrete. We've enforced the, the, the uh, 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 foundation. We put... Uh, new wiring and plumbing and, and all this kind of stuff and, and new units on the roof and all kind of stuff going on and walls are now going up, the sheetrock's going on and stuff. And I go over there sometimes, I look at it, it looks like a mess, but you know what? I come back and I rejoice and I praise the Lord. Why? Because I know there's a plan. You're looking at your life, you think, oh, it's a mess, but God has a plan. Amen? And, and, and so I can rejoice. Because, what do you mean rejoicing? There's no paint on the walls and there's no this and there's no that. Hey, there's a plan. I've, I talked to the architect. Amen. I know there's a plan. Amen. There's a completion date. Amen. But unlike the world's completion date, God, it would be on time. Amen. <laughs> Thank God for that. You know anything about construction. But you may look at your life and say, oh, the Holy Spirit. Oh, pastor, the Holy Spirit is going to be working in my life. My life's a mess, but God still has a plan. And you've got to consult the blueprint sometimes to get some joy. Here's the blueprint right here. Amen. God's word is what we need to be consulting. The hearing of his truth. Because the spirit of God is working within us. God has a plan. What is this plan? Oh, you know it. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. The thoughts of peace and not evil. Not of evil. To give you a future and to give you a hope. Amen. That's God's plan. Amen. And I love what Paul says, God, when he starts working on his people, he doesn't walk off the job. 
You see, in your own mind, you're trying to perfect yourself. You'll quit on yourself. Amen. People do it all the time. God doesn't quit on you. Paul says this in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost has never walked off the job? Amen. Even though you have walked off the job sometimes. Amen. God is there with you. And so Paul says, you know, in light of this very fact, the spirit is working in you. It's by the spirit that you've been established in all. How foolish it is for you to think you're going to perfect yourself. What God began in the flesh. Verse four, have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. What is he saying here? Well, in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, he he actually warned the Galatians that they would suffer through persecution. And sometimes this is the reason why people rather resort to perfecting themselves in the flesh rather than trusting in God's grace. Because when I perfect myself in the flesh, I'm in control. But when I got to trust God's grace, God's in control. And, and sometimes when we've suffered a lot, we, we, I'm going to take back the reins of my life. You see, and we, we confined ourselves to a form of, of godliness and we're just as happy as we can be in the flesh because we feel like we're in control. Paul is saying, you know what, you suffered, and like a lot of, like the Galatians, a lot of times believers will suffer, and then they'll get to that point where they go like, I'm tired of this, you know. I'm going to take control again, rather than trusting in God's grace, and that's always a mistake. He says, man, if you do that, you know what? You've trusted, you've lived, uh, trusted the Lord in vain, because you've given up on grace, and you've gone back to the law. You've gone back to legalism, rather than trusting the Lord. Just remember how wonderful it was and it still is when you first got saved and you just trust in God for everything, for parking spots, <laughs> new job, whatever it is, you just trust in the Lord. I mean, some of you laugh, but some of you, you know, you've forgotten that, how you look to the Lord for everything. But now you look to your banker, you look to the attorney, you look to this person, you look to that person, somebody to bail you out of this situation, or whatever. when one time in your life, it was, you were looking to the Lord first and foremost. Because you trusted that his grace was sufficient enough. You believed in your heart that he was in control. And Paul said, have you believed all this time in vain? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Amen. Don't cast away your confidence in the Lord. Exchange God's grace for legalism again is a form of casting off your confidence that is in the Lord. God perfects us by his spirit according to his grace is the point that Paul is making. here. Here's the third question that he brings to bear uh, with them. He asked them first and foremost, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by grace? By he- the hearing of faith through according to grace, you could say. And his second question was, you know, have you begun in the spirit? Now you're going to finish yourself, perfect yourself according to your flesh. Then he gets down to the third question, verse five. He says, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Hearing of faith according to grace. And then he says, uses Abraham as an example, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Amen. So the third question really has to do with works. The works. He says, he says, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you. Is, is he work among you because you kept the law? You know, this is really important thing because sometimes we think God didn't do X, Y, Z because I didn't do X, Y, Z. And I know that that there are things Lord says, if you will do this and God says he will do that. But the reality is that when you're living by grace, you know, it's not it's not a uh, God is not keeping score. It's by grace God has brought us this far. It's by grace God has done this wonderful work at Calvary Worship Center. It's by God's grace, not according to the vessel, man, I guarantee you, not according to us but because of who he is, according to grace and through the hearing of faith. So Paul is saying, has God been working miracles and, and working among you because you've been good boys and girls? Or is it by his grace? 
Not that he gives them license to be bad boys and girls, amen? But he's just making the point that it's according to God's grace. You know, God has brought you thus far in your life. How? According to grace. No, I worked hard. Amen. And it's good to work hard. Builds good character, they say. But the reality is you are here according to God's grace. Because at any moment it can be taken from you. Amen. By God's grace. He's done these things. He's trying to make that point with them because of the hearing of God's, uh, the hearing of faith, so that is trusting in God's word. First Corinthians chapter 15, <coughs> excuse me, verse 10, Paul says there, but by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen. We just stop right there for a moment. I know you want to be somebody else, but God says, by my grace, you are who you are. You know what that says to me? It says that God, it says, I, know, I knew who you were before you came to me. <laughs> and yet, you're able to come to him despite who we were according to what? Grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Amen. Sometimes people think that. People think, well, you know, God's grace is in vain. You know, I'm still messed up, man. I don't know. You know God's grace is in It's not in vain. Why? He says here, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was, within, with, which was with me. I love that because Paul is saying, you know what? You know, by the grace of God, I am who I am. God's grace towards me was not in vain. And I labored, man. I worked probably more than anybody. But listen, he understands this. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me that got me this far. Amen. The grace of God. Through the hearing of faith, God's grace working through me. We can't even take credit for the stuff we've done. Well, no, I went to school and earned that degree. No, it's by God's grace. Amen. By his grace, we are who we are. And so God works not according to what we're able to accomplish. God works according to grace in our lives. Resting in God's grace. So whether you have an education, you have a lack of an education, God has a way of promoting a person. And, you know, uh, exaltation, the Bible says, doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord. I've seen people without a high school education, you know, running businesses. Amen. I've seen people with great degrees can't find a job. It's by the grace of God. And God can bless either or. He's no respecter of persons. And so Paul is making this point here. It's not by your works, but it's by God's grace. And he uses Abraham as an example. He's the father of our faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, Paul says here in uh, the latter part of verse 6. Accounted to him as righteousness. What does that mean? That means that Abraham believed what God said. Now, Romans chapter 4, you can write this down, go back and read it later, verses 14 to 22. Paul dives a little deeper into the faith of Abraham. And there he expresses the very fact that Abraham believed God despite the weakness in his own flesh and the weakness in the flesh of his wife, Sarah, who was beyond childbirth. How far beyond? Well, Abraham was 100 years old, just about when Isaac was born. Sarah was a spry 90. And God had promised him that he would be the father, physical father of many nations and spiritual father of many nations and uh, or the spiritual father of many nations. But that he, he would be a father. He would have children. A nation would be born through him. Promise him that. Uh, Lord, Lord, my, my wife's 90. <laughs> you know, uh, Lord, I'm almost I'm 100. <laughs> and yet God provided. But the Bible says he did not look to his own flesh or the flesh of his wife, but he believed God. He did not waver. He believed that God was able to, to, to give to him what he had promised. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4, verses 14 to 22. And so the point of the whole matter here is, is that our righteousness in this point about works and the miracles of God is all according to grace. Our righteousness comes by believing in the promises of God through the hearing of faith according to grace. Thus we are blessed in the Lord favored, we prosper in the Lord, not because we have earned it or we deserve it, but because of God's promises rather than our performances. And that should be liberating because again, it's by grace. It's by grace. Psalm one speaks of that very fact that blessed is the man who hears the word of God, meditates on the word of God, who does not sit in the seat of, of, of scoffers, who meditates in the word of God. His, 
He shall be like a tree or she shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and whatever they do shall prosper. That's a promise of God. Why? Because they believe what they've heard like Abraham and they're trusting God. God works in and through us because we are justified by faith, the hearing of God's word according to grace. Abraham was justified because he believed God. And we, spiritually speaking, are children of Abraham. And God's promise that he would be the father of many nations has come true. Because those who are born again in Christ are of the spirit of Abraham. And what is that spirit? He believed God. Verse 7 says, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel in, to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And that is in you by faith in Jesus Christ, according to grace, all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is looking for those who have the faith of Abraham. God wants to perform great works and miracles through your life. He wants to bless you and prosper you. The Bible tells us that. Psalm 1 is testament to that. But God is looking for those who have the faith of Abraham, who believe what they have heard through the hearing of faith according to grace, the hearing of God's word, and believing that God's grace is able to sustain them as they obey God's word. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God says, I want to work in your life, but do you believe my word? It's through the hearing of faith we receive the spirit. Through the hearing of faith that we're able to do great works for the Lord. It, is not, has, it doesn't have anything to do with the vessel. Everything do, to do with the one who promised and who has given us the spirit. In conclusion... As we look at this exhortation that Paul gives the church of Galatia about, about grace, and he gets more into the law and the, the, the curse of the law, we'll see next time. But, um, you know, I, I want to challenge you this week as you're walking with the Lord, those times of discouragement, times when you want, you're frustrated or whatever, to keep God's promise, to keep the promise of grace, to keep the cross before you in plain sight. When you feel like you want to give up, you feel discouraged, keep the cross in plain sight. Because the cross reminds us of the grace of God. That we have a relationship based upon God's grace, not upon the law. And therefore, I'm, a, I'm, I'm really hopeful for America. I know sometimes, you know, and we, and I lament the fact that, oh, of our nation going down the tubes and all this. But I have hope for America. You know why I have hope for America and for our nation, for my own life, for this congregation or whatever? Because of God's grace. Not because of what we're able to do or what, who's been elected or anything else, but because of God's grace. You know why I say that? Here's the proof text. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. What does that mean? When we saw the law, we understood that we had missed God's standard. You know, the offense abounded, sin abounded. But then Paul says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Oh, there's sin in the world and, and people are sinning and getting away from God. But where sin abounds, amen, here's my hope. God's grace abounds much more. The darker it gets, the brighter the message of the gospel becomes in our age. Amen. I thank God for that. Give him praise and glory. So rather than curse the world or whatever, let's proclaim the gospel and be a light of God's grace. But we can't if we don't keep the cross before us. Amen. Grace has been clearly displayed at the cross. Jesus said, and John, well, the Bible says, John writes in John chapter one, he says, and of his fullness, we have received the great, we have received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace for grace. What does that mean? That's grace compounded. Amen. You know, that banking term. 
Compound interest, compounded daily. Well, God's grace is compounded by the second. Every day, of every day. Grace compounded. You know what it means? I mean, and I'm not a banker or anything, but I, I kind of had to look it up. So what does that mean, compounded? You know, it means interest upon interest. That's why the Lord was able to say to Paul, when Paul was worried that he was going to make it. When Paul thought it was, he, you know, he was going to fail God some kind of way. And Paul felt so insufficient uh, to, to do what God had called him to do. And, and Jesus showed up to him one night and said, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because it's compounded every second. You can't out You can't outfail my grace. I love it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength. Not your strength, Paul. Is made perfect in your weakness. Amen. His strength is made perfect through our weakness, not through our strength, but our weakness. You can't out sin. You can't out fail God's grace. And so Paul was encouraged. The law only repels. It only repels. It drives people away. Who wants to go to a church where there's so much legalism? If you don't wear the right shoes or something, you know, you're going to be kicked out of scorn and looked down upon. Who wants to be a part of something like that? Nobody. The law repels, but grace compels the world to come to the saving knowledge of God's great love through faith and through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise his holy name. Spoke with my grandson the other day and um, why this is such an important message for me. And I know I'm going a couple of minutes over, but I feel compelled to share this. And... Uh, He's in boot camp, many of you know. I've told you, I'm so proud of him. He's in, uh, out at Fort Benning, Georgia, amen. And, uh, you know, in the summertime, <laughs> in boot camp. God bless him, amen. <laughs> Wants to wear the uniform of our nation, service country. And he was sharing with me, he was kind of down because he was on the firing line the other day where they trained these guys to shoot. And one of his friends took his life, committed suicide. And then, of course, last week, some of you may have heard about a popular pastor with a large ministry that took his life. The irony of it is that he had a ministry that was designed to help people who were struggling with suicide. See, the devil, this is why this message is so important. Oh, it's a message on grace. We know about grace, grace, grace. Why don't we sing about it? Amazing grace. We need this message. Even the most learned of us, the most educated, you could have a ministry you can know the word of God backwards and forwards. You can be helping other people and not be helped yourself if you give up on the grace of God. Now, I don't know the reason behind why people do these kind of things, but the reality is that I do know something about depression. I do know something about discouragement. And I also know that the devil is a liar. When he begins to convince you that God's grace is not sufficient for you, that you should just cash in your chips, you should just give up. Because where do you go when you realize God doesn't want me? And that taking your life is the only, the final option. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I want you to keep the cross before you. That's why I preach so hard. I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you, man. That you don't have to give up. That suicide is not an option for you. His grace is sufficient for you. You can't out God's grace. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. No matter where, where you are, sitting in prison, you know, sitting in church, it doesn't matter. There's always hope in Christ. Amen. So, is your family grounded in grace or laboring under the law of performance? That's the question we've been considering today with Pastor Al Pittman on this episode of the Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs podcast. Next time, we continue this family series. Join us then. If you want access to a full archive of teachings from Calvary Worship Center, click in at cwccs.org and look under Media. That's also where you'll find all the information about our church in Colorado Springs. You'll have the opportunity to support this ministry financially. That's cwccs.org and click under Give. Stay in touch weekly for the updated podcast right here with the teachings of Pastor Al Pittman. And thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.